Hello, folks. This is Barack Lurie at the Barack Lurie Podcast with my good friend and producer, Ari David. And, uh, boy, these days, indeed, <laughs> are changing. Um, we uh, have such an interesting development in the news that I just have to talk about it. And, and to talk about what it might mean. Um, and this is about the Internet, right? I mean, we know that the Internet... Um, you know, we all joke around on how, how it's, it was invented by Al Gore and stuff like that. But getting past that, um, the internet is essentially an American concoction, right? It was an invention here. At, you know, everyone in the world uses the internet, uh, and they're reliant now on the internet. And all the banking system is done through the internet, and it's, it's really convenient and really wonderful. Um, you can do so many things with the information that we now obtain. But uh, here's the here's the situation: we we own the internet. America owns the internet. We manage the internet. And the Obama administration is now moving forward with releasing management control of the internet. Um, and it begs the question, why? Right? Just, just why? It's okay to ask the question. Why is this happening? Is there some sort of financial benefit to America to, to release the internet? Are we going to get billions and trillions of dollars if we release the internet? Uh, and by the way, if we were going to get trillions of dollars, I, I wouldn't want that because it means that they obviously think that there's something of tremendous value uh, to controlling the Internet and taking it away from, from us. But, of course, we're not going to get that kind of money. Is it something like uh, there's a lobbyist control? For example, the Keystone Pipeline. Our, you and I uh, are for the Keystone Pipeline. We think it's a good thing for all sorts of reasons. Um, and And... The reason why the Obama administration is against it is because of the environmentalist lobby and the groups that uh, basically have voted him in and made, made sure that he, he pushes their agenda. So he has to answer to them. Yeah, and uh, the fact that Warren Buffett, billionaire that he is, owns most of the rail lines that transport most of the oil. Two. That, that, so the point is, it's a dual lobbying effort. Of you course. Know? Yeah, there's, so for there's, that that subject, like you're yeah. saying, you can at least point to the lobbying. Yeah, you can point to it. We don't have to like it. We think it's uh, cynical. We can even say it's corrupt. But there's a reason behind it. You know, just like, I don't know, I'm, and I'm not equating him to the mafia or anything else. Uh, but, you know, obviously we, we, we don't like that uh, the mafia gets in, involved in uh, drugs or anything else. But we understand the motivation. It's for money. Money and control. So, but here's a situation that I just don't understand the motivation for it. What, why are we doing this? What's the point? Um, and I, I, there can only be one of two reasons. But pick your poison because neither of them is good. One is that there's some sort of pressure by the international community saying, Obama, either release this or we're going to hack into your account or we're going to make sure that... Uh, the internet is going to go down and, and we will breach your security one way or the other. In other words, there's, a, there's an implied threat. Or two, the Obama administration is doing this purposefully to weaken America. Now, you might say, how does releasing management of the internet weaken America? Um, it, it's, it's more of a philosophical thing. Uh, the, the theory being that the internet somehow belongs to the rest of the world, never mind that we invented it, um, but everyone should have it um, just like everyone. It's, it's a form of equalizing the world. So why, why should we have control over this? Why should we have the control? Of, you know, it's a, it's a huge resource when you think about it, the Internet. So this is a way of bringing America a little bit down, knock it down a couple of pegs, very similar to reducing the military down to pre-World War II levels. Now, that also begs the question, why are we doing that, right? But, you know, to me, I think there's a sense the Obama administration believes in its heart that it is best to have the military reduced to that level. They've convinced themselves that they don't need the military to be as big as it has been. They're wrong, but that's what they believe. And they also believe that um, they can save a lot of money in government spending by reducing the military. Never mind, of course, that, you know, that that's the one thing that the government is supposed to do. <laughs> and so they're spending 
the money where the government should not be spending any money, and they're reducing the, the expenditures where the government should be spending money. But other than that, I think it's a great idea. So, so you got to expend. So, so it, it just begs the question: Why is this happening? Why? And I know Ari, you and I have a little difference here and there, but that's you know, right. I'm right. You're wrong. But, <laughs> but time and time again, I'm presenting something <laughs> that, yet again, uh, an issue that reflects something that will hurt America. And it, it kind of it's it's like an extra credit on your side of the column, and your column being he's doing this on purpose. He seeks to sabotage America. Yeah, we both agree this is a terrible thing to do. It's a terrible thing. It's idiotic. Right. It's self-destructive. No sane person, no clear-thinking person, no non-evil person would ever do such a thing. Right. Thus, the reason for doing it would be one of those three malevolent purposes. Right. And I'm not ready to embrace that yet because I just I just can't believe my own president was would try to hurt America that much. Uh, but having said that, you can say, well, what, what difference does it make, Barack? Uh, after all, uh, if, if the result is the same, then it doesn't matter whether you shoot something in the air and you kill somebody or you purposely shoot that person, right? Right? That, that's, you know, I guess... Yeah, one, death by bullet is yeah, death by bullet. Yeah, ask, ask, ask the victim <laughs> whether he cares. He doesn't care. He's dead. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is what Obama is doing. And I'm, I'm simply saying, without getting into his intent at all, all his, all his moves, even assuming the best of intentions, are consistent with a president that seeks to actually injure America. Yeah, well, I think, I think the, the injury to America is really only half the issue because the real issue, as I see it, is the democratization of information, not for us in America, where we have still, even if it's only on paper in some cases, a First Amendment, the freedom of the press, freedom of speech, etc., etc., it has to do with the democratization of information for people around the world who are yearning for freedom, who are yearning to throw out corrupt tyrants in their governments. By having the U.S. in control of an Internet that remains open and free and as difficult to block as possible, and some countries do block it, um, it makes it very difficult for the tyrants in control of, say, China to completely block it from, from activists who are smart about using virtual private networks or other access points. Right. I mean, here, here is a, an invention that is the ultimate. When you think about the Internet, you think about the explosion in the information age, right? That's, it's, it's about information. Yeah, the Internet is the messianic moment of the information right. age. So the, the, it's the information age. It moves us forward in information. We share information. It's about freedom as well. So what happens when you basically give up that management? You're basically saying to other countries, do with it as you will. Um, and it's, it's, it's almost like the creation of the United Nations. Nice idea. I mean, I, actually, I would say it was a stupid idea, but I understand why people created the United Nations. Yeah, the time out of the ashes of World War II. Hey, let's do something to prevent wars. Oh, that's a good idea. Right. But it's, now let's give it in charge of ty tyrannical countries. Right. And, and if <laughs> Bad idea. Of course, it's turned out to be a horrible mess, and it actually uh, promotes evil in the world. The United Nations literally promotes evil in the world. It, it enables evil. And uh, putting aside so, so much of what the United Nations soldiers and, um, and agents have done, which has actually been pretty horrific, but um, they, they enable evil like nobody's business and uh, in two ways. One is um, people be, uh, believe that the United Nations should be doing the peacekeeping well, whenever they do do peacekeeping, as soon as a bullet is fired, then those peacekeepers leave the scene because I mean, it kind of defeats the purpose, right? So you get this false impression that things are being handled by these peacekeepers when, in fact, uh, it, it actually the reverse is, is true. The last thing that, uh, that a dictator worries about is United Nations peacekeepers. That's one thing. The second thing that it does is that uh, it enables um, – it gives legitimacy – to bad guys who gang up on uh, one country of their choice, uh, read Israel, and uh, decide to, uh, to pass a resolution uh, that appears to be voted upon dem democratically, you understand, uh, and, and condemning Israel for this, condemning Israel for that. So again, it enables evil because the, Israel is such a positive force in the world. It's such a good force. But that's what evil does. That's the nature of evil is to invert the good. Yeah, and just for those who think that 
our, our criticism of, of, Israel, of uh, the UN is Israel-centric. The same is true of Taiwan. Taiwan gets the same kind of criticism because China creates an anti-Taiwan voting bloc, the same way the Arab coalition creates an anti-Israel voting bloc. That's right. Again, Taiwan, democracy, uh, capitalist, free market country, the, the you know, the People's Republic of China, which is officially called China, right. is, is a communist, quasi-Marxist, crony capitalist state that's not a democracy, and it seems to be, the in the UN, the democracy. Right. Well, you know, think of the UN as a high school, if you want, uh, with a conglomeration of different sets of bullies, right? And, if you, and you tell them, hey, bullies, not only are you allowed to be bullies, but we'll actually give you legitimacy and power and the right to vote uh, about yourselves and everything else. We'll dignify your bullyhood. <laughs> and, right, with and, a plaque. And, and you'll be able to... To be able to vote together in blocks if you want and uh, to, to gang up on this or that country, uh, it, it just, that's exactly what the United Nations is. It's a, if they had lockers in, 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 in there, that's the way it is. And they would constantly be shoving Israel into the locker. Right. All right? <laughs> uh, so you, you get the idea. Yeah. So this is, um, this is one of the big concerns, the, the, the release of the Internet, again, one of those um, failure to see the consequences of things, right? That we've talked about this many times, uh, or we've also portrayed this as thinking statically, right? The the left, no doubt, thinks that by releasing the internet, it'll be a great thing. It'll be a great gesture, perhaps, to the rest of the world, and then nothing will change. Right. The static place of the internet, the amount of freedom we have on the internet at the moment, will never go away. Now that Edrigan or Morsi or or uh, Nasrallah, or Ahmadinejad, or whoever is in charge of Iran, or Kim Jong-un, now have voting positions on how the internet is managed. You think those guys are going to have a free and open internet with where you can get to your Breitbart.com as easily as you can get to CNN.com? <laughs> I mean, do you really think that? Yeah, it's, 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 it's really fascinating. It's foolish to the nth degree. Right. It's it's foolish squared with foolish. It's a Googleplex of foolish, you know. <laughs> Googleplex. Um, look, this is there. There are too many ramifications for this. Do you, do you want freedom in the internet, or do you not want freedom in the internet? If you if you release it to the rest of the world, um, it, there will be less freedom in the internet. It's it's as simple as that. What happens, for example, um, if you release freedom, uh, release the internet, and, um, and and putting aside pornography, generally speaking. Um, let's say that the internet offends many images of the internet offend uh, those in the Arab world, right? They're, they're, after all, there are many pictures of women. I'm not even talking about pornography; just women in bikinis, women in nice uh, model clothing. An advertisement Nordstrom for a new line of skirts. Yes, right. As an example, or, or even worse, a woman that doesn't have a hijab on, right? Yes. That's. I mean, I, I'm, I'm being sarcastic here. Um, but she's not wearing a, a, a head, um, a scarf. Okay, that to them is offensive. So, so then all of a sudden they have control. Now we have to all get in line with the sensibilities of the lowest common denominator, as it were. Yeah, of fifty-seven states that have oil production and distribution monopolies over another hundred states, who will get together and vote as a democracy block. Right. On new right. standards for the internet right. for everyone worldwide. Right. And what if I want to make a comment about, let's say, I don't know, Muhammad? <laughs> okay. How dare you? Right. Let's say I did that. Okay. Well, and, and I wanted to draw, let's say, I don't know, a picture of Hama, uh, Muhammad. Maybe as a teddy bear, like <laughs> that artist did. You are not allowed to do any representation, no matter how glorious and handsome you may make him look, riding a beautiful white horse. You know, uh, you know, charging into the the evil infidel uh, town that uh, the many towns that Muhammad slaughtering charged. Jews on the way to confronting Richard the Lionheart in the Crusades. Even, but no matter how much you would do that, then uh, it would be offensive. So, okay, so where do we go from here, folks? You're going to constantly wonder what you're going to be doing, and then of course we have our own interests in making sure that there's no piracy. But guess what? When things get loaded up uh, on the internet, music-wise and otherwise idea-wise, for that matter, uh, you're going to have a copyright issue. Can I ask you a legal question really fast? Of course. That's what what is international law? There is no such thing as international exactly. law. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there is no such thing. Um, international law is like is basically saying, well, can we, can we have that 
that deal in in China? Can we have that uh, same deal in Korea, in North Korea, uh, South Korea? Uh, you know, does it satisfy the sensibilities of this uh, of this legal structure in this country? Yeah. That's all it is. You know, and I'm not a lawyer like you, but I've always, I've always defined it international law as the law that they followed on the Lord of the Flies Island. <laughs> oh, so when you bring it back to music or movies copyrights, it goes to the lowest common denominator, which is the the piracy of China. It's a big mistake. Uh, this is a uh, one of those. Um, historical moments where you look back and say, what were we thinking on this? Now, I don't know what the process is, and, and I, want, I want to talk a little bit about process, and then I want to move on to a very exciting topic uh, and a very different topic, which is about science and who follows science more, the religious or the non-religious. Um, but finally, wrapping up on this Internet issue, uh, I want to know what, the, what is the procedure right now? How, where are we in that stage of relinquishing uh, management control of the internet. Does this get? Is this something that gets passed by through Congress and the Senate? I don't know. Uh, or is this something that uh, Obama can bravely do by way of his phone and his pen? Well, there's something called the ICAN, yeah, which I is a, a a non-for-profit corporation that basically handles the management of the internet uh, domain name systems. And so the the thinking is this is the theoretical words for it, is that when the international community were to come up with the right kind of standards that ICANN is comfortable with, at that point they'll turn over ICANN to international control. The saving grace in all this is that hopefully before that time happens, and based on how disorganized the worldwide bodies are, it probably won't happen in time, Good. Obama will be out of office before ICANN approves any switchovers to avoid major outages, because ICANN is heavily influenced by a lot of large-scale commerce organizations like Apple or right. Amazon or eBay, you know, massive multi-billion, multi-trillion dollar organizations that have tremendous sway on them, luckily. This is one of those organizations, the, the times that liberals should be thanking God for powerful multinational corporations. <laughs> it, truly. Well, we, we have to ask ourselves, uh, again, and, and I'm wrapping up now, why is this happening? Why is it in the interests of the Obama administration to relinquish management control of the Internet? You've heard us now talk about many different possible scenarios that can make this really bad. Uh, and there can be no good that, that results from this. Nothing, right? So ask yourself, why is this happening in the first place? Uh, people do things for reasons, folks. Either they do it for economic reasons or they do it for philosophical reasons. It's, well, one, or the, it's one or the other. Yeah. So, uh, and I kind of want to move on from this point because I want to leave it with a question. And that's what the question is. Because we don't know the answer yet. We'll, we'll find out. Yeah. Well, I'd like to just add with one other question, which is, do you guys remember that little reset with Russia and the more fleximir, flexibility with Vladimir? And do you see the reconstruction of that empire today? Right. You guys know what I'm talking about. Is right. the internet... That a free and open internet will be very inconvenient for them. So, you know. Oh, absolutely. That's what I put in my pipe to smoke philosophically. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, this one is too easy, right? But I, I will tell you, there will be an answer to all these questions and also to the ultimate question that you and I have. Is Obama doing this intentionally or is he just simply failing in every respect? It's one or the other. Uh, either way, the country is suffering, right? <laughs> right. So, okay. So we agree to that. Um but we'll find an answer. And you know where that answer will come from? A gentleman named Barack Obama. He's going to be writing about this. He will write more prolifically than Jimmy Carter wrote after he became president. Of course. Obama has Bill Ayers to be a stenographer. He's a good, Ayers is a good writer. <laughs> Hear me out. Uh, Obama is so, and this we both agree on for sure, he's such a narcissist. He really believes that he is... God's gift to mankind is too strong uh, a phrase. Uh, he, he really believes that he can do no wrong and that his actions are inherently brilliant uh, and that his word choices are exceptionally articulate. In other words, he's been smoking what, they, what they're giving him. Um, it just he, He's part of the chum gang, as it were. Uh, he really believes this stuff. And he'll want to convey his brilliance. It's kind of like... I mean, well, kind of like, and I say this only kind of like just to make a joke about it. 
um, you, you know how you have these evil scientists in and, and they're always, un, you know, uh, foiled by their own arrogance, right? They want to show how they, uh, you know, created, you know, did this incredible bank robbery, for example. Yeah, so right? if only they didn't need to tell everyone about it, those darn kids and that dog Scooby-Doo would have never foiled That's their right. plans. That's right. It's, it's their own... It's their own thing, you know, narcissism leads them down this path. And Obama will do exactly that. He will do our work for us. We don't have to be sleuthing anymore. Once he is elected, once he's uh, no longer president, um, and it might be, might be four years, might be eight years, but it'll be less than 10 years, you'll see his first book. And that book will talk about how bad Israel is. That book will talk about how bad America is and what his ultimate plans are for America and how it needs to not be what it is today. And this was how I was doing it. He'll, he'll lay it all out for us better than, than you and I could ever hope for. Yeah. And if only that darn Ted Cruz didn't stop my plans, you would have lived in this Messiah right, world. Right. <laughs> it's a little bit like, uh, the movie, um, um, ah, uh, the brave men story. What's, uh, with Tom Cruise, um, a few good men, a few good men, right? And the Jack Nicholson character ends up just basically confessing, you can't handle the truth. And he says, yeah, I did it. And this is why I did it. And he wanted to make clear that he was saving the country somehow, uh, obviously creating a, a crime in the process. Um, and that's, that's what Obama will be. He'll, he'll say, you can't handle the truth, so to speak. And he'll be revealing everything that he believes. Anyway, um, speaking about re revelations and such, uh, we're moving to second, our second phase of our podcast today, which is about... Science and the whether or not the religious um, like science, or whether the non-religion religious like science. Now, why do I, you know, what, what has prompted this? Well, a good friend of mine uh, was talking to me about a movie he had just seen. I, I think it was about the um, something of the particle, not the God particle, but uh, a very interesting new movie, a documentary coming out, and it almost doesn't matter. It's a scientific thing. And he is talking about... Uh, it was about the Higgs-Boson particle That's or it, something. the Higgs-Boson. Yeah, it's a new documentary. Very interesting. And he was telling me that uh, it's really fascinating. It's over his head. But, of course, you know, religious people probably won't like this. And I wrote back, what are you talking about? He said religious people like you. No, like, he did, no, he did not say that. Oh, he didn't? He, did okay. not. he said religious people probably won't like this. So I wrote back and said, well, um, it sounds like a very cool movie. On the contrary, it sounds like... We love science. And what was his response? He would say, come on, Barack. Right? It's the come on, Barack, that I want to respond to. You can almost see it in his head. You know, the tw it was by a, a text exchange, so I, I couldn't see him, but you could practically see his head giving me this wince and um, like contemptuous look, like as if I was playing games with him, that religious people love science. And it just never dawned on him that religious people love science. And that's the question today. Whom, uh, who prefers science? Who really follows science? The religious, those who truly believe in God, or those who are a-religious? And you can also say conservative or liberal, but more poignantly, I think it's a question of religious versus non-religious. Okay, so let's keep it at that. And I put it to you that the religious are far more interested in science uh, far more enriched by science than the non-religious. Now, how can I say that? What are you talking about, Barack? I mean, after all, uh, you know, the Catholic Church, they tried to suppress science, don't you know? Uh, what with Copernicus and Galileo? Well, that, that was not good. Um, well, first of all, putting aside the, Ga the, the Galileo story is actually falsely told. It's not really that way. On the contrary, the Catholic Church liked what Galileo had to say. They liked the fact that he advanced the notion that the Earth went around the sun, the heliocentric view of the solar system. Um, they liked it. And they, they felt it was just more incredible a proof of God's existence than anything else. Um, what they didn't like about him is how he, he, he got it so into his head that he decided that he was going to change the Bible. And that they couldn't handle. <laughs> and I understand them for not... He, didn't, he wasn't even excommunicated. He was condemned, but he was excommunicated. So what? You know, condemned is not the same thing as going to prison or being hanged or anything else like that. But that's what they would have you believe. 
Copernicus, slightly different story. He was earlier than Galileo. Uh, they did give him some grief about that. But the fact is he continued on his merry way, uh, arguing that the Earth did revolve around the sun. Uh, the, the show Cosmos uh, opened up with that. They, they tried to be very anti-Catholic, uh, by the, the way. The new Cosmos, not yeah, the, the classic yeah, the new, original. That's right. Yeah, that's the new Cosmos. Very agenda-driven, but that's a different story. Um, and so anyway, they want to portray this situation as though those who are um, religious are fighting science, and those who only the ones who are non-religious, who are truly open-minded, they're the ones who will go where science takes them. Okay. First of all, it's, it's false. It's just utterly false. Other than Copernicus, and even that story is kind of a, a, a funky, you know, that they, they conveniently leave out a lot of facts out of this. Other than Copernicus, where has the Catholic Church or any Christian church or any Jewish synagogue argued that we must not accept certain kinds of science? Tell me. The only ones I can point to, okay. because MSNBC told me, ah. is some weird wackadoo churches like, say, Westboro Baptist, right. you know, very racist, crazy, wackadoo organizations that have no connection to reality. Right. Where if you just observe these people with a, you know, discriminant eye, they look like they're on drugs. That's right. Other than that, no sane, legitimate normal church, etc. Right. Except maybe certain Islamic mosques or certain um, Christian organizations that are part of... Um, well, but we're talking about mainstream. Li but, but liberation theology in some major cities is considered mainstream, you know, the Reverend Wright kind of churches. But even that, we would consider wackadoos too. Right. You know, Farrakhan, Reverend Wright. Only those. Um Here's the thing. I mean, mainstream, I mean, because you'll always find crazies. Uh, but the reality is that no mainstream uh, church will reject science. On the contrary, they will embrace science. And for a very solid reason. You, know, you may, you know, the atheist listening or the non-religious person will say, well, wait a minute, that, that cuts into my understanding of, of religious people. And why would, uh, why would a, um, a religious uh, institution like Catholicism uh, embrace science? Uh, why it's a threat to to their religion, isn't it? And first of all, no, not if they believe that science will prove that there is a God, right? Um, so that's one thing. Now you can say that they're crazy to think that that science will not prove that there is a God, but that's what they believed. So they actually did embrace science. Um, the and I think, and we'll get into this in a moment, that science today is overwhelmingly um, evidence of God. In fact, had I been born 500 years ago, I don't know that I would have believed in God. And not with the mind that I have now. Maybe I would have believed only because everyone else believed. But, but with the mind that I have now, I don't know that I would believe. It's because of all the science that has come out. The nuances of what we now know about the dinosaurs and the fossil record and the incredible machinations of the brain and the, the cell and how amazingly complicated it is and how hard, you know, wildly unprobable it was that life itself could ever create itself, let alone one that would reproduce itself, let alone one that would evolve into a more intelligent uh, species like ours. Um, these are things that we would not have been able to even think about yeah, 500 years ago. Yeah, so it's the science absolutely. of it. Now, here's... here's so at first we have to prove to the atheist or the non-religious person, we'll say the godless person, we have to prove to the godless person that the, the Catholic Church, because by and large that was the church, right, um, that they actually embrace science. Okay, so let's prove that first of all. Um, issue number one is that they believe that science actually did lead to the proof of God because it was so that they felt kind of maybe like a Tower of Babel sort of way, that they would reach God that way. But, uh, but not even that. The Catholic Church so believed that science would lead to God that they created the notion of the university. Okay? The university, something universal education, right, was designed by the Catholic Church. 
wasn't designed by some secular guys who said, hey, this would really be great to have some sort of countervailing force against those those crazy religious yeah, people. We need a place to smoke pipes and wear tweed jackets with leather patches on the elbows right. and argue against those mitre-wearing right. Catholics in Rome. Right, and that, that university that you're talking about is a very modern phenomenon. In fact, very modern, so modern that it really started, started in the late 60s, right? Before then, universities were what we consider very conservative, and they were very eager to learn about science, and they were very rigorous in their uh, notion of science. And, oh, you still want more proof, you say? Okay. Um, so many of the scientists that we uh, know and revere, Descartes, Newton, um, uh, Galileo, for that matter, uh, they were all very devout people. Um, who was the guy who did the genetic splicing? Uh, starts with an M, I forget. But he was a monk. That guy. Uh, I mean, really, just phenomenal. The 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 strongly religious bent of each of these amazing scientists. And wouldn't they use the same words that you hear used in university today in what they were seeking, this thing called, um, what's the word, enlightenment? Yes, enlightenment, that's right. Or truth, for example. Yeah. How about that? I mean, uh, the, Pope John Paul said something very brilliant. Uh, I, I love Pope John Paul II. He was my favorite modern-day pope, I guess. I, I don't know enough about the past popes, but certainly this... That pope, he was amazing. I, I like all the popes, by the way, even the even the new one to some extent. Yeah, but Maybe. you especially love a pope who basically brought down communism without a shot. I yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, pretty he, awesome. He saw evil, and he, he, he refused to, to say anything other than recognizing it as evil, but that's another point. John Paul II once said, truth cannot contradict truth. Okay? Now, that's, that's a brilliant comment, uh, because it can't contradict truth. So you cannot hide anything. I mean, it, the, the notion that these Catholic priests or bishops or the Pope, for that matter, would all get together to conspire to hide um, this or that scientific discovery. No, sir. I don't believe that in a second. For a second, I don't believe in conspiracies. We talked about that before. Um, it seems laughable to me. They were spending too much time trying to educate people, teaching them to read, teaching them to appreciate art. That's right. Uh, and, yeah, and, you, would, you would think yeah. that a Catholic church that was hell-bent on lying to people about what the science was out there would do everything they could to make sure that people could not read. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that, that, that they would just give whatever little of their money they had to the, to the church so that they could fill their coffers. It would, it, you know, that, that's what you would think. But no, here's this, this, this institution called Catholicism that wants to open minds, to, to elevate people. This is an incredible notion that people just don't seem to, to respect or, or care to learn about. Can talk, I point, talk about not, yeah. not following where the facts are. Right. Yeah. Can I point out another one? Yeah. Would you consider mathematics part of science? Of course. Of course, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what... Uh, a sort of discipline of both of modern in the modern age and in the past used mathematics architecture didn't the catholics want to build cathedrals that didn't topple over oh, that's a good point and thus used mathematics or the science of numbers to make sure they were structurally stable right. based I, on the fact they were spending so much money on these things well it, 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 the god the godless person will say or the atheist will say to you no well you know, that to them was a necessary evil. They thought if they could, they would just ask God to simply build the church for themselves. But no, they have to actually use bricks and mortar and such. They have to use the reality of life. This is what an atheist will tell you. But I, I'm with you. I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying that's their argument in response. But there's no way you can point to anything the Catholic Church did, or for that matter, the mainstream Muslim um, uh, uh, mosque, would say, or Judaism said, you know, no, we must not allow that information out. You cannot show that. And the best they have is Copernicus. And my friends, that was more than 500 years ago. And I think the statute of limitations, even if it were true, has expired. Okay? So uh, let's face it, you know, and, and it's, it's really remarkable, by the way, that the Catholic Church, which is run by humans, has elevated Society so brilliantly has advanced science so wonderfully 
if if it weren't for the Catholic Church, we would be nowhere close to this. We would be nowhere close to the science that we now have. The notion of a speed of light, the notion of our study of the planets, the notion of gravity, all the things that we take for granted are there precisely because the Catholic Church has opened up those doors. That's what we call irony. Yeah, well, there's a, I, thought, I just thought of another irony. This one's so rich you could call it the cream. Okay. Okay. Think about how the modern liberal judges churches and the actions churches of the past have taken. Yeah. They judge them using a caliper or a measurement of modern values, the modern values brought about by all the enlightenment pursued by the church of ancient times. So they'll say, let's just stipulate they're right about what they say about the story of Galileo or Copernicus or in the episode of Cosmos last week, the maltreatment of Bruno. Well, they're judging men who were in charge of an institution made up of men who lived... 500 or more years ago and expecting them to live up to the standards of morality of today? Right. Well, not when life was mor- far different. Right. Well, it's not even standards of morality because I think their standards of morality were better back then than they are today. Right. But, but I, I, th- yeah. I hear what you're saying. You're saying that they, that they should have the same uh, level of openness and uh, appreciation for different cultures and different ideas and liberty that we now have today, which which really is remarkable that they were able to, to open up the world as they did without uh, a, a country being a democratic country before the United, Nation, United States became a country, before England opened up its, its borders as well, before the democracies that we now have throughout the world, the, the, the communications and the explosion of ideas. The Catholic Church was right there, and the only thing they can point to is Copernicus. That's it. Yeah, and this is a world 500 years ago. No electricity, running water, sanitation, right. etc. Okay? Yeah. Life is hard. Dirty drinking water. So people are basically inebriated on alcohol most of the time, both for fluids and to deal with the uncomfortability that life was. Life was horrible. My, right? Right. And we're expecting these people to act like university professors with tenure today? Well, but... The, Who, those, by the way, act terribly. They act terribly. <laughs> But I think what you're saying, and I agree with you, is that they're expecting these uh, these people to act perfectly. Yes. And they're not perfect. They're, they're, you know what? I, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Uh, and you know what? I'll even say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this far. Please. I know that this is... I'm sitting I, down. I, I, I have my seatbelt on. get ready. I, I, I thought about maybe stopping and not even saying this, but you know what? Sometimes you just got to say it. I'm going to say, I'm going to go so far as to say that maybe even President Obama is not perfect. <gasps> yeah. Heretic. Yeah. I, I've, I've Heretic. Done it. I, you know, maybe I'll edit this out after this is all done, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to say that. Uh, and maybe even, maybe even the liberals may be wrong here and there on the various topics. Occasionally, perhaps. Like, uh, I don't know, maybe on everything. Yes. <laughs> Just about every <laughs> single issue. I mean, we've, we've, we've had that challenge before. Like, please prove to us where you've been right, right? I mean, that's another, so that's another story. Look, the fact is that uh, the Catholic Church, with all of its imperfections, really got it right by you know, amplifying the university, trying to study as much as it can, never sending out an edict, you shall not teach this, you shall not teach that, you must suppress this thing. I, I could be wrong, but I got, I got a feeling that if, if it was anything more than Copernicus, we would have heard about it. Okay, We would have heard about it. We would have heard this this gravity business doesn't jive very well with our notion of of the way the universe is or anything else. Now, here here's something that kind of kind of I, I want to discuss because it's such a big topic. The assumption is among the godless when they talk to each other, they they say, oh, you know, that the notion of the Earth going around the sun was so anathema to them. It was so such a shock to their system. Really? How so? What's the big deal? Are you and I less of a believer in God because the earth goes around the sun? How does that that diminish my belief in God in any shape or form? Right. The irony is that when I look at just outside, because it's daylight right now, and I see a certain object in the sky that's bright, I assume that's the center of all gravity, if you will. Right. I believe that's the emanation of God's light. 
Right. It's kind of obvious the sun is this extremely powerful thing. And we meek little mortals here on Earth slaving away trying to find our faith in an uncomfortable world without sanitation services or welfare from the government. Understood. Understood. But what I'm saying is, and it's a good point, uh, but what I'm saying is people make this huge assumption that somehow this shocked the religious world and this created a, you know, you, you want to think that it created a bunch of atheists, right? No, it, it, it turns out it didn't. What's it, what's an obvious, con- not global warming or abortion or any of that stuff, but what's an obvious conversation we have today with where there are two sides of the issue? Evolution. Okay. Uh, well, out of the scientific realm, like say taxes. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, regulation, takes, taxes. Yeah. Okay, taxes, regulation, any of those. Let's mm-hmm. just say taxes. Um, taxes are discussed in, on political cycles, on news shows. They're, they're a large subject of the day. What's the best tax rate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If the subject you're talking about was such heresy to discuss, why did they, they, did they sanction so much time for its discussion? Right. Exactly. Why would they do that in the first place? Right? Why were so much were, were so many Catholic church stenographers writing down the record of who said what about what? Right. You, know, you, you would think they would just have killed them. Yeah. Right. And not written a record of it. Right. But, of course, they don't have that. Okay. So um, that's one thing. That's one of the kind of libels I, w- I would say upon the Catholic church that I don't accept. I, I never did accept. I, I don't see this where, where the whole world somehow turned upside down because now they realize the earth went around the sun and night vice versa. You know what? I think people handled it quite fine. No big deal. It was interesting to them. Uh, just kind of like I think the world handled it just fine, except for the, and we'll get to this, except for the atheists and the, and the, and the scientists who were by and large godless, uh, when they discovered that the Big Bang existed, which is a much more recent discovery, right? So that is a huge issue, far, far more significant than the earth went around the sun, right? That there's a beginning to the universe. And that is a completely opposite of everything that we're just talking about. The scientists can't seem to handle that. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. That they can't handle. But Scientists, let's read it. Just scientists so scientists, can scientists handle can't handle. Not priests, right. not bishops, not cardinals, not the pope. Right. Scientists. Right. <laughs> and and, and uh, those who are clerics uh, was simply pointed to the Bible and said, told you so. You know, I mean, <laughs> and, and you don't blame them. I mean, everything the Bible said, and this is one of the queries I have for you, because I, I'm, I, this is an open discussion right now, because I really want to know. I, I wouldn't say I'm well-versed in the Bible, Ari. I've read the Bible a couple times. I've studied it through indirect sources as well, because I'm, I'm fascinated with it. There's a great book, by the way, called Biblical Literacy by Joseph Telushkin. Uh, to me, it was just a bar none fantastic book, the best nonfiction I've ever read in my life. Um, but here's the question. Regarding science, when the Bible talks about science, does the Bible ever get it wrong? In other words, does the Bible, for example, talk about gravity falling up or something? Well, that, that's like an that. obvious example. But but does does the Bible say that the Earth is the center of the universe? And it doesn't. No, it doesn't say that. Does the Bible say um, that it was only uh, the the Earth is only six thousand years old? It does not, by the way. Um, no, it talks. Of, I believe it talks about recorded history being six thousand years old or something. Right. Like well, that. yeah, we, that's why we have the year in, in, in the Jewish calendar. It's fifty-seven something. Uh, but that's because based upon the beginning of, of a history, a historical moment. Uh, but that's it's not from yeah, the beginning it, of time. It, it's, it's, no it's, less different. No less different than the year uh, 2014 being 2014, uh, 2014 years from the, the birth of Jesus. Right. right. I think every Christian acknowledges that there was history before Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's why they had the, the BC. Uh, yeah. Essentially 2014 and 57, whatever yeah. are dates from the first New Year's Eve celebration. Right. Exactly. In, in, in sort of, but, but we're always accused by those who are, who share a different point of view that, well, they must mean the beginning of the earth. That, that's yeah, that's right. So they, they, they want to think that because they want to be dismissive about our belief. They want to think of us, not only do they want to dismiss us, but they want to think that we're stupid and that they are so much brighter because they are the people who follow science. So this, so where has the Bible gotten it wrong? And I, and, I, and I say that with an open question. I don't know that the Bible has gotten anything wrong. Um, and in fact, when you look at it and you talk about first there was light, okay, 
um, there were, and we know that there was an explosion. It's, it refers you to... You mean the, first there was darkness, then let there be light. The, the, there was light. And, uh, and, and putting aside the fact that the notion of light itself was such a bizarre concept back then when they were writing the Bible. Light was not a, considered a thing, right? Uh, a camel was a thing. Sand was a thing. <laughs> Maybe the sun was a thing. But light itself was not a thing. Yeah, to figure out that there is the stuff moving, that light wasn't just lying on the ground, but it moved from here to there yeah. and could be interrupted on its path. Yes, you can observe it just when you see a shadow, but right. we're talking about primitives here. Right. Primitive man who essentially started scribbling this right. stuff down. And then when you actually follow, you know, on the first, it's not the first day, by the way. Yom in Hebrew means day, but it also means epoch or era. Yes. And, and hence, you're really saying in the first era, yeah, we're talking about era. the seven eras. Yeah, of it's creation. not twenty-four hour days. It, that, that's that's what the 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 non the, the the godless want you to want want to mock the believers yeah, about who, who are taking it so literally. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. So nobody takes it literally except for the marginal. Well, not just groups. literally, but tra- the tr- literal of the tra- English translation, not even literal of source, where the source material can mean multiple things. That's right. So, look, if you take it one step at a time, and let me just go through this because the eras. As described in the Bible, that's exactly how we now know it happened. Exactly. Not yeah. Pleiocene, Jurassic, Cretaceous, Ice Age. Exactly. Yeah. Bear with me. And then every animal that came in happened to arrive on the scene just as the Bible said it did. Okay. So, look, you don't have to believe me. Okay? Just do it yourself. Google it if you want. <coughs> Do your own research. You will find that the history of the earth happened like the Bible said it happened. Coincidence? Sure. It's definitely possible. In fact, it's much more likely that that coincidence occurred than the existence of life happened. (laughs) I'll give you that, okay? Instead of it being one out of a trillion, 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 let's say the Bible getting it right is one out of 2,000. But is it really those long odds, considering that the people who did the spoken word uh, recitations of the Bible to the point where writing was and they started writing this stuff down, weren't they doing their best to get it right? Isn't isn't that exactly what they were writing? The ultimate history of the planet? but, But how could they know? That's the point. Because they were seeing so much of it in front of them. No, no, but you're, you're, you're missing the point then, because that's not what I'm saying. Oh, you're saying the miracle of how accurate they okay. were based on what science has proved. Here's what, what I'm saying, is that there are some things... Okay, imagine some scribes, okay? Some scribes... Let's, let's be uh, cynical, just for the sake of it. Let's pretend that the Bible was written by some very crafty men who just want to get a lot of attention. A bunch of narcissists, if you will who want to make a, uh, you know, to fool the world, to, to, to follow this crazy thing that we'll call the Bible and uh, we'll create a religion out of this and everything else and, it, and we'll all have a good laugh yeah. uh, watching them. And we'll run a big cult and make a lot of money. That's right. Okay. Okay. So l- let's just pretend that. Okay. So now they create this, this thing called the Bible and they basically, as part of it, set forth how things came to be and with the first era, the second era, and so on. All right. So they've, they've done it now. Okay. And they just kind of thinking it out of their own tushy, as it were, uh, and just kind of invented all this stuff. But you know what? It turns out, and they didn't have the adva- they didn't have the advantage of the fossil record. There was no such thing as a fossil record, right? They didn't know that there was such a thing called dinosaurs that preceded them. Dinosaurs were only discovered discovered a, a couple hundred years ago, for the first time. So they di- they didn't know anything about dinosaurs. They didn't know anything about um, that they. The, the timing of when things arrived on the scene. Or tectonic plates or geological epochs. They didn't know anything yeah. about this stuff. And so they write it down anyway, and uh, they happen to get it right. Okay. Whoops. Okay. <laughs> Just they happen to get it right. It's a winner. Okay. <laughs> and I'm saying that chance of them getting it right, let's say it's one out of 2,000. Okay. I think that's about right. One out of 2,000 chance. Probably, probably less, one out of 10,000 that they got it right. Because how are you going to guess this thing called the, the, the dinosaurs? It's not called the dinosaurs, by the way, in the Bible, obviously. But it is called the large reptiles. In Hebrew, it's the large reptiles. It's fascinating. And then everyone, every animal that came onto the scene came just as the Bible said it was. So they could have gotten it just right. It's an amazing coincidence. We'll say it's a one out of 2,000 chance. 
and that's why, but I, I said that chance is far greater than the chance that life itself formed. But either way, these are wildly crazy odds, okay, that everything was done just so. Where else, I, I mean, just so, so just point to me, my dear listener, please write me at info at law.com where it is that the Bible, you can clearly point to it and say, ha, those fools, they thought X, okay? And you won't be able to find it. In fact, they got everything right. Okay. And in fact, if they got a lot of things wrong, it would give you cause to think that maybe this whole God thing is just silly, or at least the Judeo-Christian God thing and the Bible was all flawed, right? Because it better be right. I mean, if this is divine, if this is uh, inspired by divine events, if it's inspired by God, then why would God, you know, get it wrong? Okay, so I, I think that's pretty basic, right? So that's one question. Now, but let's go back to the science issue, embracing science and such. And we said before, who really follows science? And I think we, we kind of locked it in that um, Jewish tradition, Christian tradition, and, and hopefully Muslim tradition, uh, at least of old, loves science. They move forward with science. Islam, we know, uh, created uh, the Arabic numbers, okay, through, through Islam. They, they, they love that part of it. So we got to give them credit where credit is due. Um, and Christianity created so much in the way of not only democracy and everything else, but science as well. Judaism, we also know, has done so much for science. We push for science dramatically. But I can think of three areas right now where those who are godless turn their, their blind eye toward science. And the most obvious one is evolution, right? So Evolution was started by Charles Darwin, uh, this belief that things gradually changed over time and that, that we all improved by way of survival of the fittest. But then there came a problem. The signs suggested otherwise. What was that science? Well, one of them, one of the items of science was the fossil record, which completely ran afoul of the theory of evolution. The other uh, area was the just the discovery of, of biology. What we know of biology is far more complicated. There's no way that survival of the fittest could have led to the incredible complexity within just one cell, for example. Didn't deal with something called irreducible complexity, which is, it's, it's a fatal flaw in evolution because evolution says that everything happens randomly. Well, then how do you explain the creation of one thing which is interdependent uh, of another thing in the body somewhere else. I mean, for example, you, you have white blood cells and you have blood, right? The white blood cells need to be carried by the blood. Your, the minerals in your body need to be carried by the blood. Well, <laughs> what, what came first, the blood or the minerals? Well, if the blood came first, then, then the blood is rushing around your body transporting nothing. <laughs> What's the purpose of the blood? And how do you live for those billions of epochs until uh, evolution gets around to coming up with minerals, transporting them, right. receptors, white blood cells, platelets? All these things are interdependent of each other, and they, they don't just. I mean, you might as well try to build the space the space shuttle, like I always say. Um, you know, just kind of doing it ad hoc. Uh, hey, well, we've got this uh, piece of rock here. Let's let's let's. Uh, I don't know. With, with no planning, with no central planning, no overall structure. No mathematics. No so mathematics. A great example is the, the uh, Cathedral of Toledo. We're going to make that entirely tall uh, building made entirely out of pillars, and we're going to use no geometry or mathematics, no numbers whatsoever, right. and no architectural plans or drawings. Right. And it's even more crazy than that, because at least in your Toledo example, they actually had the idea of building a church, <laughs> right? But, but to make it more consistent with evolution... It would have to, you just wake up one day and you see this huge, beautiful church. This, the structure is amazing. And you say, wow, look at that. How about that? It just all kind of developed overnight. Luckily, all these architects who didn't have any conversations or draw any plans all thought of the same thing. And the materials all arrived in the right order. Oh, wham, there it is. Yeah. So that's, that's and the funny thing is that one human body, any human body, is infinitely, not just a lot more, but infinitely more complex than the Church of Toledo to use yeah. your example, 
or any of the fanciest watch you yeah. can imagine. Or this Infinite Apple computer thing. or that Rolex watch or that Mercedes Benz, anything. Infinitely. So, so the science doesn't lead there. But so what, do, what does the atheist say or the non-religious person, because that's how we phrase the question, what does the non-religious person say to all this? He says, well, you know, science will prove it one day. But, but it's, it's like you... It's you, amazing how much faith those people have. Well, yeah, putting aside the faith issue, and I, and I, like, I like that, but it's like, it's like the, um, the cult leader who says that the world will end on January 1, 2000, right? And all of his loyal followers wait for the great day. And then, yes, of course, Lord Applewhite. And it passes. It's suddenly January 1, 2000 comes and goes. And now it's uh, January Second. 3 <laughs> at, at 2000. It's, there's no issue there. And nothing's happening. And then they just say, well, he was right anyway. And kill themselves. Well, either they kill themselves or, or they, they, they somehow reconnoiter the whole thing yeah. so that, that somehow it's still legitimate. And that's the same thing with, with evolution. Here's this theory that's just demonstrably wrong. And yet they just keep on saying survival of the fittest. And they just want to fit this round peg in a square hole. Uh, and it's, by golly, it'll just, it'll just work somehow. And they just, it's just a flawed theory. It might be something else. It might be, folks, it might be something completely godless as well. But it ain't evolution. Okay? That's all I'm saying. It ain't evolution. And, and going on with this mantra is like going, staying with an abusive husband. Why would you do that? <laughs> right? Just, it's wrong for you. It doesn't work. Get out of this relationship, as it were, right? Just stop. And they, they keep on going. Um, same thing is true with um, global warming, right? Here's a theory that it's even more truncated than evolution. Here's a theory that says um, that uh, the world is, is gradually warming and all that stuff, right? Okay, but it's already being debunked, you know, very simply, very straightforward. There is no warming of the planet, right? I mean, it's no warming, period. And... Uh, and, and, and there's all this evidence that we now know that the emails have been concocted, that there's been collusion working among the scientists, that there's false, uh, that, that, you know, that it's all based upon computer models, um, to say nothing of the fact that uh, this is not the first skies falling scenario that we've had, and all of which have been turned out to be wrong. So every one of Al Gore's predictions has failed, and yet they still kind of push on with this mantra. Global warming, global warming. They refuse to, th to see the science, just like they refuse to see the science when it comes to evolution. Likewise, and very significantly, with the Big Bang. This is my favorite one. The, we talked briefly about this before, but the Big Bang, here's, here's something that says that there's a beginning to the universe. We love that, right? We, we love that because it, it, it's consistent with the Bible. So you can say, yeah, you know, you like it only because it seems to, to be similar to the Bible. But would you... Would you embrace it, Brooke, if you found science that went against the Bible? Uh, to which I would respond, well, yeah, I, I would accept it. But so far, there's been no science that has been contrary to the Bible. No, no science yet that has disproved the, the existence of God. Um, if anything, science, not, not, not if anything, all science has actually made me more clear that there is a God because of the infinite complexity of it. There's no way it can be, happen on its own. Um, but, you know, the scientist, the, the godless scientist at least, is in his laboratory and he refuses to acknowledge the possibility that there is a, there's a cause to the universe, that there's somebody moving this universe, making it happen. That they refuse to recognize. And that, my friends, is not scientific. When you decide to rule out a possibility for the explanation of something, just ad hoc, just deciding that that's going to happen in the first instance, you are not a scientist. And that is why so many of the religious scientists, they are the true scientists. And by the way, only, it's only a recent phenomenon that science and religion have somehow separated ways. The, the, the secular world has created this dichotomy. That's a new thing. In the old days, science and religion went hand in hand. As we discussed earlier, and they created this new thing, and how do they do it? By rewriting huge swaths of history. Right. By making up things whole cloth. Which, by the way, making up things is the most unscientific thing you could do. Right. That's right. 
they'll and that, but that's what they've been doing with the global warming thing. That's what they've been doing with evolution, uh, and that's what they're they're doing now with the Big Bang. You know that there are people that are desperate. They're so desperate to challenge the Big Bang. Uh, I'll call them Big Bang deniers. <laughs> How about that? Um, these Big Bang deniers, uh, they are find, trying to find whatever way they can to still say that notwithstanding the, the clear evidence before them that the, the universe is still random somehow. They still want to believe that so desperately. They've got an agenda. When you have an agenda, my friend, you cannot possibly be scientific. Now, they'll turn to us and they'll say, what are you talking about, Barack? You religious folks, you have an agenda too. You want to believe uh, in God, and you won't look at anything that says that there's, there's not a God. Okay, well, like I said before, you haven't shown me anything that, that to prove that there's nothing out there. And by the way, we're, we're, we're much more receptive, and we have much more doubt in our world than you have. Dennis Prager brings this up all the time. The atheist has no doubt. And so he actually takes positions consistent with no doubt. And that's why they refuse to even acknowledge the possibility that there is a God that operates this whole system. One final point um, on the Big Bang Theory and the probabilities. Do you know that there's, uh, the Carl, not Carl Sagan, um, the, the man in the wheelchair, what's his name again? Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking. He has advanced the theory that there is a multiverse, right? That maybe that there are multiple, millions of universes out there. As if that somehow contradicts God. Right. Well, why does he say that? I'll tell you why. Because he knows the probabilities of life happening on Earth in this single universe, as it were, is so infinitesimally small that it is ridiculous. He acknowledges that. To say nothing of life then reproducing itself, to say nothing of life then becoming human beings and having free will and the level of complexity that we now have. He acknowledges that. So why not increase the odds? How do you increase the odds? More, more, more universes. More bets. More, more bets, that's right. So the more universes you have, the more likely, I put that in quotes, that life could happen randomly in this universe. That's how it works for him. Never mind, of course, that there's not one bit of evidence for a multiverse. This is all in his head. And it's, that is agenda-driven. Had he not had to deal with the probabilities, he would never have come up with this multiverse. There's no reason for the multiverse. There's no reason why God would create the universe. That is inconsistent with the Bible, but it's okay. I'm ready to accept the possibility well, of, of, of more universes, but there, there ain't no evidence. Well, there friend. can't be more universes because the word, it's like uh, when you say conservative extremists. No conservative can be extreme. They're conservative. Right. Conservatism is, by definition, not extreme. Right. A universe, by definition, is one thing. So if there are multi-universes, they're still part of the universe. Right. There's, That's a good point. There's just, there just might be other <clears throat> bubbles of collections of galaxies. Yeah, universe. Un means unreachable from this. But universe means one. Right. And the Shema prayer in, in Judaism says God is one. Right. God is one with life. God is one with the universe and right. is, is beyond us. And even if you were to stipulate that Hawking is correct, that there are, okay, there's multiple universes like bubbles in this bottle of sparkling water. That's the way he portrays it, right? It doesn't mean there isn't a single creator still. He, he still hasn't solved his problem, which is to assassinate God. His right. bullet has missed. That's right. Uh, he's, all he's done is he's increased the probabilities that life on this planet could have happened randomly. And that's all he can do. But so what? Instead, instead of going from 1 in um, uh, 10,000 trillion, he's gone to 1 in 5,000 trillion. <laughs> it's still... Well, I see now the odds have now doubled. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's where we are with this, this whole logic here. It's a very strange logic, uh, but don't be impressed with it. It's certainly not scientific. I call it ill logic, actually. Yeah, it is ill logic, and um, it's it's agenda driven. And it's what's sad about it is that these scientists who claim to be scientific are exactly the opposite. Um, whereas those who truly believe in God are the ultimate scientists. They do go where the science goes, and guess what? 
the science points exactly to God. More so now than it did 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. And boy, I'm looking forward to more evidence of God with each passing day. It's an exciting time we live in. Folks, we'll wrap it up. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this. I hope you enjoy the show. I'll talk to you next week.